This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast. How are things going for everyone? And Bob, how are things going for you? Well, uh, hi, Frank. Um, things are going pretty well, I think. I'm amazed at how full life has been these days, you know, when we first transitioned to doing things at home and Seems like the schedule slowed down a little bit, and now it's just as busy as ever. Uh, but it's all good stuff. Good. Are you going to the office at all? I just dropped by, but everything is pretty much online. The only thing I'm doing out in the world is I go to my gym and swim twice a week, which is, the I have to say, is the joy of my life. I, I love swimming laps. It's, uh, it's really invigorating and uh, stimulating for me. Love it. Okay, so it's time to get to the main topic this week, and today we're going to talk about fatigue. So, Bob, this is a common problem. I actually wrote a book about this many years ago called Spent. It was initially called Spent because everyone I was seeing in, in my office in New York was just burnt out and spent. And then they actually changed the title to for when went into soft cover to revive because they said, Spent is too negative. You've got to make it positive. <laughs> I remember that book. But I do see a lot of people who spent. I mean, that's a very common thing. And I think now with COVID, it's even more common. So what is your what do you, what goes through your head when someone comes in to, to you and says they're exhausted? Well, I, I, I tackle it on several different levels. I, you know, my job as a doctor is to make sure there's no disease. Right. So I, I do all the usual stuff. I make sure the person's not anemic. I make sure they don't have low thyroid, some kind of weird autoimmune disease like uh, lupus. You know, I mean, that's that's why they've come to see me instead of just talking to their friend or their brother or their spouse or something. You know, they they want to make sure nothing's wrong. And that's I think the first thing that comes up for people, they get really tired and they think, oh, something's wrong with my health. Instead, you know, the, the more integrative notion, which is that a symptom is a signal. A symptom is a signal. So if you feel excessively fatigued or spent, then your body's telling you something. It's telling you you need more of something or you need to avoid something. That, that comes from, you know, my old friend Sid Baker that said health issues really come down to two issues. Either there's something you need to get or something you need to avoid. And that's how I think about fatigue is like, well, do you need to get more sleep? Do you need to get more love? Do you need to get more of some nutrient or you need to get less of something, less sugar, less alcohol, less stress, fewer toxins? You know, so it's it, it sounds simplistic, but it's not often that easy to make the kind of changes that are necessary, I, I think, to to start feeling better. You know, we, our lives are complicated these days. So I'm I'm pretty aware that you know, when I tell somebody, oh, you need to change this or that or the other, that I don't take that lightly. 
right? What I actually tell my patients is a variation of exactly the same thing. I tell them to ask themselves two questions. What are you putting into your body or on your body that could be causing this symptom like fatigue? And what are you lacking? What does your body need? So what do you need to remove? And what do you need to add? So I, that's exactly what, exactly what I do. And uh, I sort of put the ball in their court often. But I, I agree with you. I think our job is to rule out, you know, with blood tests, etc. Are they anemic? Is there a thyroid issue, which is not uncommon, especially subclinical thyroid issues, which we should talk about. But I would say with that workup, probably... 70 to 80 percent, the workup is normal. So people are having fatigue and all their labs are normal. Is that what you see as well? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the one thing I often see milder variations on that I wouldn't call disease, but I see problems are when I measure cortisol levels, which is a, you know, an indicator of adrenal function. I'm not saying adrenal function is the cause of fatigue, but if there's one thing that I tend to notice early on in people who are tired is that their cortisol levels are either being secreted by their adrenal glands in a really erratic fashion, like, you know, normal in the morning and then rapidly drop or flat all day. I do tend to see that a fair amount, but I wouldn't call that a disease. I would call that an indication of dysfunction. Right. So you do saliva testing for that. Yeah, I do mostly salivary testing. I think it's very accurate. The results tend to be really consistent. It's easy. You do the test at home. So it's certainly something that I, you know, I I can put out to our listeners that's very worthwhile, I think, for a chronic fatigue, not just for occasional fatigue, but the person that just feels really, really depleted. I think that's a very worthwhile test. Right, because the blood cortisol level is not particularly helpful. You're only getting it generally, you get it one at one point in time, whereas the exactly. salivary tests you're doing all day and into the evening. And, and what I would say to that as well is my experience has been you can usually tell if someone has, let's call it adrenal fatigue or, or dysfunctioning of the adrenal system. It's, a, it's usually a clinical diagnosis that goes with the fatigue. And actually, one of the classic symptoms that I always look for for adrenal fatigue or a couple of them, one is if someone exercises and it makes them feel even more exhausted. That to me is always a sign of there's some adrenal fatigue because exercise usually makes people feel better. But when people exercise and they feel tired afterwards, that's usually a sign. And, and the second sign I always look for, is, apart from the fatigue, is that sort of second wind that people get they get very tired late afternoon and then they get a second wind at eight or nine o'clock at night and then they can't go to sleep. So those are two symptoms I always sort of look out for when someone, when I think someone is spent or has adrenal fatigue and trying to work out clinically what's going on. This is one that maybe you can add me a little, add a little insight. I was having a little bit of extra tiredness at one point and talked to an acupuncturist who said, well, you have a kidney young deficiency which I think is a very common diagnosis in Chinese medicine. And I am I was thinking, okay, next time I talk to Frank, I'm going to get some clarity on that because uh, right. you know people talk about this kidney yang deficiency a lot. What does that mean? It means adrenal fatigue. Oh, really? <laughs> Basically, it's yeah. It's a Chinese the, version of that exactly, or the oriental version. It, exactly. Kidneys, the Chinese kidneys are very similar to the Western adrenals. 
So kidney deficiency, especially kidney yang deficiency, is adrenal fatigue. What's interesting is in Chinese medicine, you can get a yang deficiency or a yin deficiency, which there's a slight difference. So with a yin deficiency, you tend to get hot and dry and, and not so much with a yang deficiency. But as a general rule, kidney deficiency is adrenal deficiency and kidneys as a general rule are I sort of see as the adrenals in, in Western medicine. They're not the physical kidneys. Exactly. They're energetic kidneys. Exactly. I don't even know why they're called kidneys in Chinese medicine, but the equivalent is really the Western adrenals. In your clients, do you talk to people a lot about the difference between mental fatigue and physical fatigue? Not really, actually. I because I sort of see that as 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 one, um, although I probably shouldn't, because the treatment that I'm recommending is usually the same. I'm usually recommending something like restore. It depends how bad the adrenal fatigue is, but I'd start off if so, if it's if it's bad, I usually start off with some restorative yoga, which I find incredibly helpful as opposed to sort of rock and roll yoga. So yin yoga, or in particular restorative yoga, where you um, use props to get into position and you stay in that position and support it. So you get the effect of the pose, but you're not working in it. So I find restorative yoga incredibly helpful and adaptogens. I'm such a huge, huge fan of adaptogens and sort of the differential I make in terms of which ones I use. If someone's blood pressure is low, because often with fatigue and adrenal fatigue, their blood pressure is low, then I'll add licorice or a licorice-based adaptogen formula. And if the blood pressure is normal to high, I'll actually leave the licorice out. So it's interesting. So, so the Chinese kidney yang, kidney yin symptoms are a little bit different. But basically, from a Western perspective, if someone's blood pressure is low, I'll add licorice and if it's not low, normal too high i keep the licorice out but i'll always sort of give a mixed formula of sort of ashwagandha rhodiola ginseng sort of variations on the same theme i love i have to say i love licorice root as a supportive herb and it's interesting to me because in chinese medicine i think it's in the top five of all herbs which means that we literally have millions of people around the world that are taking licorice root but years ago a book came out that the american medical association published called the ama handbook of poisonous plants and they put licorice in you know near the top of the list of poisonous plants so here you have an herb that's one of the top herbs prescribed in the world you know, especially in Chinese medicine. And then in the West, they go, it's poisonous because it raises your blood pressure. Yeah, it's, uh, cr it's crazy. And, and so many people actually need their blood pressure a little bit raised. Need a little but let's higher. Yeah, let's just talk about subclinical hypothyroidism because there's often a correlation that I see anyway with this um, poor adrenal function leading to maybe poor, let's call it some poor thyroid function. Their blood labs are normal. Their TSH may be between, let's say, 2, 3, 4, maybe even a bit higher. But they have a low free T3, a normal T4 and a low free T3. They're often not converting the T4 into the active thyroid hormone, which is T3. And I often see that as a correlation with adrenal fatigue. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah, I see that. And I, I, I do see some people that... 
even have their thyroid stimulating hormone, their TSH is just a little bit above the normal range. And, you know, even if you look in the Western medicine textbooks, they will say you don't necessarily need to treat that with thyroid hormone replacement. But then the question is, well, if you're not going to treat it and the person has some symptoms, if they're tired and you're not going to give them hormones, are there any, is there anything else you can do? And I would say there are two things I typically do, which is I use selenium which helps with that conversion of T4 into the active T3. I find selenium very safe if you don't use more than about 400 micrograms a day. So if you cap it at 400, most people do fine with 200. That's something a, a supplement that's readily obtainable. It's in a lot of thyroid support formulas. And then the other herb I use a lot is ashwagandha. Yeah. Uh, yep. which is an amazing herb. Right, no, I agree. I, I do the same thing. And if people aren't responding, I actually often use a little bit of Cytomel. You know, I have a compounding pharmacist who starts with the regular Cytomel, which is T3 that you get in the pharmacy, is short-acting, and the smallest dose is five. My compounding pharmacist makes a long-acting one up at, at 2.5, we start, 2.5 micrograms. And occasionally, if someone's not getting better, I actually just give a little bit of Cytomel, which I've seen help over the years. And 2.5 or 5, a very low dose of the T3 seems to help people who are just not responding. You know, it's interesting because in the psychiatric, the conventional psychiatric research literature, they talk about that as augmentation therapy, T3 augmentation for people with chronic depression. That, you know, there's a person that has taken a drug like Prozac and their depression maybe gets a little bit better or doesn't. And then the psychiatrist will say, well, let's add a little bit of T3. And I think, well, if that T3 is working, how is that working for somebody who's depressed? Is it is there more to this depression than a simple deficiency of neurotransmitters, which is the, you know, the old way of thinking you're depressed because you don't make enough serotonin or norepinephrine that's kind of an old way of thinking like you know a new way of thinking is if you're if you have a mood disorder maybe your whole body is not functioning properly exactly i think we should do a podcast on mood disorders but that's a good point you brought up because i actually see sort of low-grade depression and brain fog as a fairly common symptom of the subclinical hypothyroidism it's extremely common, you know, what's called subclinical hypothyroidism. You know, to me, it's almost a meaningless term, or it's just a label for... It's dysfunction, some kind right, of dysfunction. Right, exactly, some kind of dysfunction, right. But I, I have seen low-dose cytomel, long-acting cytomel, help a lot of this low-grade depression a lot of people feel. So that's interesting that that comes up in the psychiatric literature. The other thing I would like to get your thoughts on is the whole notion of mitochondrial exhaustion, you know, which is mitochondria, the little tiny sacs inside of our cells that make ATP and ATP is the energy currency of the cell. That's what we use to basically do anything, everything from thinking, nerve firing, muscle contraction, detoxification, all of that requires ATP. And so I often talk to my patients with chronic fatigue about the possibility that their mitochondria are depleted. I wonder, do you do any kind of workup for mitochondria or, you know, how do you investigate that? 
I don't know. I don't know how to investigate that. I mean, I, I to me, once again, it's sort of like I'm shooting in the dark. When someone comes with fatigue, I'll usually, you, you know, obviously do a workup. If I don't find anything, then I start with adaptogens. But I always do add nutrients that will support mitochondria just as a standard treatment rather than I've actually diagnosed mitochondrial sort of dysfunction. So I'll always add a good multi and and probably CoQ10, sometimes alpha-lipoic acid. And I actually use resveracel by Thorn, not that I'm here to plug Thorn, but I do use resveracel a lot, which is, well, you can talk about it, you actually developed it. And I find that actually quite helpful for some people with fatigue as well, interestingly enough. So yeah, I I think that's a great product. It Its main ingredient or I say two ingredients are mainly part of the formula, which is nicotinamide riboside and resveratrol. Now, the, the whole idea with nicotinamide riboside, NR, is that it's made in the body into something called NAD. And NAD is actually one of the carriers of electrons in the mitochondria. So NAD is really critical to making ATP in the mitochondria. As we get older, or if we have a very stressful life, our NAD levels drop. There's no question about that. That's been proven over and over again. In fact, the older we get, the lower our NAD levels are. And so it's very beneficial to help replace the NAD. Now, NR is not a stimulant. And I think that's really important. You know, this is not a caffeine effect we're talking about. This is a replenishment effect. And when you combine the nicotinamide riboside with the resveratrol, then that's when you get the, the maximum benefit because resveratrol helps improve energy production and it helps repair damaged DNA, which also happens with aging. So the two go well together. You also have quercetin in that product. So it's it's a more complete formula. Yeah, it's a great formula. I mean, I actually take it as an anti-aging formula. That's one of my standards I take every day. But I actually do use it for people with fatigue. And when I add some CoQ10 and alpha-lipoic acid as well sometimes, and as a general rule, people get better. So I must say, obviously complicated, but how do you work up mitochondrial health? Well, I, I work it up more from the kind of questions I ask. I mean, the, you know, kind of classic scenario that I, I see in Boulder because we're a town full of athletes is the people that overtrain, that they push, push, push. They train six hours, even more a day at very high aerobic capacity. And then, you know, they, they show up in my office and they say, boy, I'm I'm get so fatigued some days it's hard to get out of bed. And at first they say, well, this came on all of a sudden. But when I asked them, it turns out this has been going on for a long time, that they were fatigued, but they were overriding it. They were ignoring it. And so I think what's happening is they're, they're overdoing it. They're burning out their mitochondria. So the history itself tells me actually more than any blood test. Okay, that's all great. So now we've got to take a short break. And when we get back, we'll take some questions from our listeners. You put in the work training at the gym, on the court, at the track, pushing your body to the limit. Now maximize those results and unlock your inner champion 
with Thorne's high-performance sports nutrition line. With pre-built fitness bundles like Thorne's training bundle, you can jumpstart your training and fitness routines and take your performance to the next level. Thorne offers the most comprehensive line of NSF certified for sport products on the market, making Thorne the unquestioned leader in quality and innovation in sports nutrition. Visit Thorne.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. And we're back now. Now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, Is fatigue real or is it just in people's heads? And what causes tiredness in the body? Is it a chemical? Bob, you want to take that? Uh, well, you know, those are all different parts of the same question. Really great right. question. I, I don't think there's any question, uh, any issue about whether fatigue is real or not. It's an evolutionary phenomenon. I mean, we want some kind of feedback system that says you've done too much. You know, you haven't gotten enough sleep. Uh, why is it that people spend half their lives in bed asleep, right? We, and we talked about that in a previous podcast, the importance of sleep. What's going on when you sleep? Well, the garbage crews come out and clean up all the misfolded proteins and broken proteins that develop in our cells. So I think part of what we experience as fatigue is this accumulation of debris in our cells that causes a low level of inflammation. That inflammation causes release of chemicals like cytokines that make us feel bad. The other thing we know is that there's this chemical called adenosine. And adenosine causes sleepiness. Now, adenosine is a signal that our body puts together to tell us, okay, you need to rest, especially that you need to rest your brain, right? So as the day goes on, our adenosine levels build up and then eventually we'll get more and more tired and, and want to go to sleep. That's a normal thing. It's a mechanism that's built in. So yeah, the answer to the question is it, there is a chemical phenomenon involved in fatigue it's a little bit different whether you're talking about the brain or the muscles, but it's very similar. So uh, a question for you, Frank. This person asked, why am I more fatigued after a day of doing nothing than a day of yard work? That's a really interesting question because I actually get that question quite a lot. And my take on that and just my clinical experience of what I've seen from the people who actually experience that is these are people who usually push, 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 and push, and they don't even realize that they're tired, and then they take a day off and just start chilling out, and then they're tired the next day and the next day because they've just let their body sort of regroup and catch up. I mean, that's definitely been my experience. That happens with these type A personalities who push themselves too much, and if, when they eventually take a break, they realize how tired they are. Would you say, that you, is that what you see as well, Bob? Or is there... Yeah, what, what does the brain use? Something like 20% of our blood flow. Right. And, and even a higher percentage of our, of our energy. So, you know, I, I have some clients with chronic fatigue. I actually have a fair number of clients that have chronic fatigue. And the number one question I ask them is, before this illness hit, would you describe yourself as being, as you said, a type A person? 
And I would say, it's getting pretty close to 90-some percent of them say, I was a really driven person. I just went all the time, and I overrode any sensations that told me I was getting drained. So I think a lot of times people can disconnect. You, you can't really be an ultra-athlete without learning to disconnect from your body. I mean, you cannot go out and run 50 miles without being able to override a, a symptom that says, hey, I want to take a nap. I want to lay down. Well, some people just do that naturally. They go, go, go. They think all the time, but they don't realize how much they're thinking. And so they, they tell me, yeah, I didn't do anything today and I'm exhausted. Well, I bet you did a lot more than you thought. It's just that what you were doing was inside your head. <laughs> right. And I think that sort of addresses in a way, maybe that's what one of the first questions was about. Is it in my head or is it real? I mean, I think it's, you know, there's no, to me, there's no difference but if whether it's in your head, in your body, it's all your head and body are one. But a lot of the fatigue may be stemming from stress or pushing themselves too much or not being able to switch off their minds. Maybe that's what they were implying. I'm not sure in that question. But anyway, here's an interesting question, which we sort of addressed, but I think we should address a bit more. How can you tell the difference between normal tiredness and serious fatigue? Well, I think the, the big difference is that normal tiredness tends to improve with rest. Whereas serious fatigue doesn't really matter how much the person rests, you know, if they've got some kind of disease like hypothyroidism or if their adrenals are completely shot, then they can rest indefinitely and they still wake up and feel exhausted. Yep. You know, so that's a tip off. And I, I always ask people, when was the last time you went on vacation? Sometimes people say, well, it's only been, you know, four or five years. <laughs> that worries me. But then if they say... Yeah, I, you know, I went to Mexico for a week and spent a week on a palop on the beach, and I didn't feel any more refreshed. That's a red right. flag. Exactly. What, what's your, do you see a lot of Lyme and co-infections out in Colorado? I, I don't think we have nearly as much of it as you do back east. You know, I, I have a, a handful of cases of it, but I wouldn't say it's super common in my clientele. Yeah, we, we see definitely see more of it, but it's very tricky. The whole Lyme. And it's complicated. It's very complicated. So we won't go into that here. So the answer to fatigue is more coffee. Um, okay, is it okay to use for fatigue? Well, that's an interesting question because if your adrenals are really fatigued, coffee is probably not. It's another stimulant, so it's not good for you. Not that I'm against coffee, and I have a cup of black coffee every morning, and I actually love it. So I'm not against using coffee to wake you up, or coffee is not necessarily bad. Unless you have to have it, then it becomes a problem. You've got to be careful of drinking too much coffee if your adrenals are shot. Yeah, so it's a fine line. Um, I mentioned adenosine. The the right, interesting the thing here is that gate, the, yeah. yeah, the way that caffeine works is it inhibits adenosine. Exactly. So it, it it works by overriding your body's natural signals. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying I'm against it. I have a cup every morning, but I only have it in the morning. I agree. And that's something I tell people. You know, the one people that are having it in the afternoon. Um, I, my concern is that is preventing them from going into deep sleep yep. at night. And, you know, it's 
how do you know that? Well, you know, I use my aura ring and that tells me whether I'm getting into deep sleep or REM, et cetera. And caffeine will definitely interfere with that. Absolutely. Okay. And then the last question before we go is, when should I worry about being tired all the time? I think it's the same answer that we were talking about before, which is that if you you can never get over it. If you rest, 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 if you take a vacation, spend some time on the beach, and you don't ever really feel like you're coming back, then something else is going on. And those are the people that need a deeper workup besides the things that we mentioned. You know, they're there are more extensive tests that you can do, tests for inflammation, autoimmune disease. So that's when I take it to the next level is when a person says, there's nothing I can do that ever brings my energy back. All right, folks, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Bob, for podcasting with me. It's always such a pleasure. It is. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.